Sunday morning. It's a, another beautiful day to worship God, isn't it? As is every day, but this is special. And uh, we continue in our uh, exciting study of the book of Revelation as we are uh, approaching what would be uh, coming the very near end kind of on the back side of Revelation, or at least uh, getting close to that now. Last two-thirds of it, I guess you could say. And uh, this book is written to give us clear understanding of the coming of Christ and uh, that yet awaits in, in history. We, we look to that time. Jesus Christ is near. He's with us right now, but we don't see Him face to face. But we will, like the song said, Right, as we sang earlier, revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what this is about. It's revealing Him, Himself, who He is. He will be coming to in sovereign, grand, supreme glory. This is the very same Jesus that's going to return, that's going to be the same Jesus who the world crucified, rejected. But He's going to be coming back differently than the first time this time it will be to judge the ungodly. And it's uh, rather sobering to us as we read sections like that. Do we rejoice a lot when we talk about the wrath of God and His judgment? Well, we don't usually uh, joy in that, but yet it's still a part of God's plan. It's perfect judgment. Perfect righteousness. Here's what we've seen so far in a nutshell. The seven seals have been opened already. The seven trumpets have been blown already. We've moved on, haven't we? The abomination of desolation by the Antichrist and the temple of Jerusalem now has taken place. Persecution of Israel has escalated to fever pitch. Persecution of the Gentiles who became Christians all over the earth is going on. Many are dying. Sky is devastated. The earth is devastated. All by divine judgment. Satan is ruling the earth through humans such as Antichrist, the false prophet. He's getting his way. This is what he's always wanted to be like. God, as he said, and of course that was a prideful saying as he said that whenever he was Lucifer worshiping in heaven, the lead worshiper of the angels. And here he is now getting his worship. It's the worst time in world's history that will be. We've been seeing the details laid out from one period to the next. This is called the Great Tribulation. We're in the last three and a half years. It seems as if it couldn't get any more worse. How can it get any worse? And it does as we uh, look in Revelation. The judgment has ultimately swept all the way to this time period now. As we look forward to, into the future, we, it's kind of funny, we're looking back on what we've seen, but it's actually going to be coming in, in the future. Um, what it is, as it gets worth, 
uh, worse that Satan has to be swept away. False prophet, the beast, such, have to be swept away. So do all the ungodly to the lake of fire. That time here is about to hit. We know there are many things to happen even before this, after this, right? But there's a final reaping of the earth as we know it. It'll be unprecedented. It'll be the final holocaust in this world. Greatest bloodbath ever in the history of this world. Because the fury of Christ will be released and you'll have the final devastating judgment now this is a good way to attract a crowd, isn't it? <laughs> so it goes when you go book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. There aren't always sections that I would pick out to bring forth. But uh, the Word of God is the Word of God. And we can't fudge on anything that is about God. We have to speak about His judgment, His wrath, and we know we've seen this quite frequently in Revelation. Now, it's interesting though, but God does. Soon after this, He will also bring forth the light of day to us whenever you have darkness and the sun comes out. Isn't it beautiful? Well, uh, we've seen that all throughout Revelation. We've seen that throughout the whole Bible. Whenever there is judgment spoken of, then we also see grace and mercy and love. And we see that in chapter 15, even though there are signs there showing that there's going to be the bold judgments let out. The judgments will happen. Well, this is something we all rejoice in when we have the praising of God. So, when we talk about the wrath, we know it comes on the ones who are ungodly, the ones who are not believers in Jesus Christ, who have not trusted in Him. But I do also tell us, there is a judgment to Christians. I'll spend a few minutes on it. It's not really the message that is here today in our text. But it should sober us when there's any kind of judgment because God is doing it because He's righteous. And it means mankind is sinful, ungodly. We seriously contemplate the fact that there will be ultimate divine judgment. We see it in Revelation. It should bring more than the feeling of unwelcome. It seems like all of this is an unwelcome thing, but I will tell you that we sometimes need to have a spiritual trembling. We really need to always have in mind that we need to fear God. To fear Him in its proper perspective. And some of the greatest things that we need to think on sometimes is the fact that He's going to call us to account before Him. And that is true. We cannot forget about that as believers. Um, it's very plain, it's very clear that 
Our weaknesses will be brought forth. Judgment is unwelcome, isn't it? And before you guys start heading out the door here, as I continue on, it, like I say, it has to be somber, and then we look at the judgment upon the unbelievers. But in um, Romans 14, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And that's talking to believers there, as Paul wrote in Romans. Sometimes we forget about that. And just to qualify this, we must also first think about the cross. Our sins have been forgiven. We are forgiven forever. Uh, Sins have been taken away. So, what is it that we're going to be judged on? What we did here as far as our works. What was good? What can go into the kingdom of God? We will give account of our attitudes, our thoughts that do not honor God, the words that we say, and the actions. That's why I would say, you know, in Revelation, uh, was it the last chapter in that area there, it's talking about there will be no more tears. And He'll wipe every tear away from our eyes. It's possible that He would say that as we meet Him face to face. And as He's doing the rewards, and that's really what that's about, that there are things that we could have done and we didn't, or we did things that did not honor God. Um, And so we know that the sins are done. And that's been paid for. That's that's good. Get that out of the way real quick. We, We want to make sure that that is the case. And that's forever. But what about this? We'll look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 12. It says, uh, Each man's work, in verse 13, will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as to through fire. That's a tough one, isn't it? But it's the Bema seat. It's the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne, but the judgment seat of Christ where He judges our works. And whatever we have built upon His foundation, whether it be gold or silver, precious stones and the wood, hay and the stubble, whatever it is, then those will be what represents our rewards. Anything that can burn up will burn up. Anything that glorifies God will be kept there and we are rewarded. What is the idea where He would burn this up? They would suffer loss. They would suffer a reward the rewards that would be given to them. Certain things 
dis maybe disqualified them even. But the idea is there. Whatever is not for the honor of God is burned up. Uh, it's capacity to serve in heaven. That's what rewards are. Wouldn't you like a big capacity? We're all going to be glorious. We cannot sin in heaven and everything is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be righteous. Whatever we do, we can't ever think a bad thought or do anything that's bad. Isn't that great? And, and by the way, we won't even be jealous of others who have maybe a greater reward. The thing is, is that the more that we serve the Lord here in His honor, our works that He gave us to do, then will be celebrated with this reward and the more opportunity that we have to serve in heaven. Does that mean we have we will not serve very much now? No, we'll serve for eternity. It's just that God has different uh, degrees of punishment, different degrees of reward. And that would be the idea about suffering loss, not eternal salvation. You can't how can you learn to, or how can you lose eternal anyway, right? Salvation. In chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, and actually, I think it's in verse 5, where it says, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So there's a lot to be said about the believer at the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. It's really rewards of... Back in the Olympics, during the time of Paul, for instance, they would be given a laurel, a wreath, a crown. And it would be for winning the contest. That would be the greatest reward that they would have. It would be showing something that, look what they did. Well, here is, look what we did, but only in God's glory. And our motives are for His glory, not for our own. You could actually do things, with, be in the name of Christ, but it would be because of drawing attention to oneself. One can have a big church or a small church. One can be doing great things for God outwardly, but inwardly it's for moving up the ladder. So God judges perfectly and He discloses the motives of our hearts even. And you can go, oh, I don't have a chance. Nobody does. We know that that's been taken care of by Christ, but it shows that, again, the rewards, what we are given, are going to be judged perfectly. And uh, we say, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> but thank You, Lord, for the opportunity to do Your work. Just a little bit, Lord, it is the best joy that we can have. 1 John chapter 2.28, and then we're going to move on. 1 John 2.28 Now little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, when He comes back, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. 
Do you catch that? If you're a believer, you should not be ashamed at all. And if you are a believer and you are ashamed, well, shame on you. (laughs) Because we should look forward to His coming back. That's why He says, be alert, be watchful. Be ready, right? That means be doing the things of God. Anything that it is that glorifies Him. So whenever He comes, that He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we look forward to in seeing Him face to face. I don't want you to be afraid of God, but there is the fear of saying, yes, I want to continue on. There's the fear of getting lackadaisical as a a child of God. And then just, you know, it it doesn't matter. Things, you know, my gifts, they don't matter. My prayers, they don't matter. Attending church, God's people, it really doesn't matter that much. You know, I'll be there here and there. All those things. Uh, wow, that's the kind of things that God burns up. Right? That's the kind of things people will be ashamed of when He comes back. And for sure, He'll have to wipe the tears from their eyes. Once that is done, there will be no more crying. No more shedding of tears. Everything is great. So, while we're here, folks, we have an opportunity to serve the Lord. In the meantime, here we are. By the way, did I do 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10? I'll just read it. Um, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or worthless. Somebody might say, well, that's a judgment of works. So, therefore, that's how we get to heaven. I've always heard that it's by the grace of God. Well, you're absolutely right. It is by the grace of God. And there are works involved. You are saved for good works. To do good works. That's what the good works are about. Otherwise, any of our works are worthless. Before Christ comes into our life, they are as filthy rags. All your righteousness. But in Christ, look who you are. So there again, he says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we all will appear and deals with the deeds in our body while we live here. Now, what we move on to now, that's for the believer. And the believer is not in this judgment that we see in Revelation 14 today. And you'll see why. When we first start off, it's going to be positive. Uh, that almost seems like a negative, but to be honest with you, it's a positive. It's God's will. Do you want anything that's not honored to God to go into heaven with you? Of course not. That's why He burns it up. That's it. Thank the Lord. That is love, isn't it? That's mercy. That's grace. God, anything that's here that is not of you, please take it away. Don't you pray that prayer? Well, let's go into the reading of God's Word and then prayer and then we'll go into the text. Revelation 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven. That right there ought to give you wow. Can everybody stand with honor God's Word in this one? 
I heard a voice from heaven. Are you all ears? This is what John heard. Saying, write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Go. <laughs> yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Amen. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. Sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel the one who has power over fire came out from the altar and he called out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung a sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. There's the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, great God, what a vast measureless judgment this is. And Lord, we are in awe of Your power, of Your righteousness, of Your justice. And we know that You are a God of justice because Your Word says so constantly we live in a world of injustice. You are justice. That is your very nature. And what you do here is perfect and right. We as humans still have trouble wrapping our brain around some issue like this, but yet we see that is right. It is true. Lord, as we go into such a heavy subject, may we see this the way that you do, and that it would behoove us to make our own lives right, but also for the ones who don't know Christ, who are not right, who are not just, that we would have a seriousness about for them and anybody who is lost, that we would be able to take that message to the ones you lead us to. Lord, help us be attentive to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Starts off in verse 13 about blessed are the dead in Christ. Wow. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it starts off with I heard a loud voice from heaven. Now, 
things have just been getting worse and worse and mounting up in Revelation. You know, there'll be a day that we'll say, finally, we're in Revelation 21 and 22. We might spend a while there after all this. But you know what? The light comes out on all this, doesn't it? We see it rightly. There's a final act of God judging the earth. It's to come. And there's an encouraging note here just before we get in to those pictures, two pictures of judgment or wrath of God. Just before that, we find in verse 13 something that's really fascinating. It's real positive. It's about believers dying. Does that sound right? <laughs> it's positive. Uh, this would probably be a verse that some people use for a funeral. Actually, in the context, just specifically what it's referring to are the people that are on earth when the big judgments happen. What? The big judgments? We've already seen that. I mean the big, the big ones. <laughs> it's like the big one that's getting ready to come in somebody's heart. <laughs> you know, the big one. Was it? Sanford and Son? Yeah. Anyway, um, it is saying to anybody that would be living at that time if you're Christians, you would be blessed if the Lord just took you on up into heaven. Can we agree with that? Because he says from now on. But I think we can also agree with this too. And this is why I say it's a good verse for a funeral. Of a, of a brother in Christ, sister in Christ. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Because when you die, it's part of God's plan. He's the one that takes you out anyway. He knows when you're born. He planned that. He planned when you were going to die. That's how providential and sovereign God is. And when He does that, He brings us right into the presence of the Holy. What? Better could it be? And I'm not telling you here, drink the Kool-Aid, we'll go to be with the Lord. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be kind of uh, like this. It's kind of, it sounds deathly, doesn't it? it? Sounds like a death wish. Not that, because we get the opportunity to serve the Lord and uh, serve Him to bring honor to Him. And that's because He gave us a particular time to live here. And you know what? After you start getting up to a certain age, you get to thinking, boy, you know, life has really passed by. And it gets quicker and quicker. You know, you look at it, you go, that wasn't that long ago, was it? That was about five years ago, right? Uh, no. Uh, tennis, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you, right? Well, I will tell you that one is blessed to be in the presence of Christ and not have to go through the horrible wrath that is to come right there. And also, in this world today, we, you know, sometimes it would be, we probably think, well, you know, we, if the Lord takes us, well, fantastic. I'm out of this world. And people are blessed when that happens. If you're a believer, the believers only, it's a strange statement, though. Everybody wants to avoid death, don't they? Uh, you know, it's, it's like a curse. But here we read, Blessed are the dead 
And what happens at this time, they're in the, in the greatest time of martyrdom that's ever been. Believers are in the worst time that they've ever suffered. And you can compare it to the early church or, or you know, back in the Old Testament time period if you were prophets or whatever stood for God and all the way through the tribulation, all the way to this point, and you get this blessing. Well, we can understand that, can't we, in that kind of thought. This is a strange place for a beatitude. When we're speaking of great judgment, he says, blessed are the dead. And by the way, this voice comes from where? From heaven. Folks, we are getting the privilege right now of reading that a voice came from heaven and he's saying, write this down, John. You know, I will go out on a limb and say that voice is God. It's This is saying this voice, write this down, John, write it down. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord Jesus from now on. How encouraging is that? Blessed, how blessed. Blessed is Makarios. Blessed means to be happy, to be content. Blessed means to be fulfilled. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who mourn. Blessed are the ones who are pure. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the gentle. Now those obviously come out of the Beatitudes and Matthew 5. We're probably very familiar with those. They weren't in any kind of order. I'm just thinking these as, as I go along. How about certain passages that say like in Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, the ungodly ones. If you don't take counsel from them, you take counsel from God's Word and from people who know God's Word. You're blessed. You're content. You're happy with that. Psalm 1. Psalm 2. Something along that uh, same lines. Uh, I guess, blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Take refuge in Him. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven. You look all throughout the Psalms and the Old Testament, blessed are, blessed are. Those blessed are to the ones who are believers. Those are promises, aren't they? Aren't you glad of those blessings? God gives blessings. He does all the time. You've been blessed today just by getting up and moving around knowing it's God who gives you life and keeps you living, and then to be with other brothers and sisters here, you're blessed abundantly. Now, if you backed up in one verse, and Dennis, how are we ever going to get done if you start backing up? <laughs> verse 12, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. It's not a work salvation. We've already pointed that out. 
It's a works based upon the work that Christ did. The work is finished, but now he, he brings us into the kingdom of God and gives us works to do. That's a privilege. So here's the perseverance. Here's how they persevere. They keep the commandments. It, it simply means this. If you're a believer, you want to do the commandments of God. Well, you, do you do them every day, every moment? Of course not, because you're still in the flesh. You're still incarcerated in the flesh. You still sin. And, and that's not good, but we battle it, don't we? We struggle. But you persevere as you walk in this life. You continue on. It's because He keeps you. He, we remain in the Word. If you remain in the Word, if you abide in Me, I'll give you eternal life, right? That'll show that you are a believer. It shows your works that He's given you. It shows that you're a believer. It's really fruit. And then He says, at faith in Jesus, we're saved by faith. Faith alone. He grants us that faith, doesn't He? He gives us faith to believe Him. He regenerates us. And we continue to have faith in Him all throughout our life. If you're a believer, you will show your faith. Many of you are doing it this morning. You're showing that you believe in God. You agree with His Word. You agree. You're singing. You're praising Him. You're praying to Him. Fellowshipping with each other. It's about that we're related. We have the same faith. Trust in Christ. So we persevere. It's trust and obey there is really what you see. The, the commandments of God and faith. That's trust, obey, obey, trust. Really, the being blessed when we die is blessed upon the fact of what Christ did that grants us then the keeping of the commandments, faith in Christ. Trust and obey. Look in Hebrews 11.13. This is the hall of faith. People of faith, the Old Testament, all these died in faith. They all believed. From the very point that God regenerated them all the way to the point that they died without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So it wasn't just the trivial things of the earth they were really after. It was really they were on the journey to heaven. To be with God. Right? And that is the ones who died in faith. You know, Psalm 116 has got to be a quandary to some people and on others it, it has got to be a great, great comfort. Got a feeling to everybody sitting here today. It's a great comfort. Look at Psalm 116, verse 15. And no, we're not doing a funeral today, but it's good to know these passages for when we know that people pass on to the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death 
of his godly ones. Everyone here has lost, I guess you could say, lost in the very presence face to face and we know where they're at. I, I like what Cindy always said. They're not lost. We know where they're at. They're in heaven. Remember when Cindy would say that? I, I, I go, you know, you're right. But we know what people mean when they say lost, but you know, they're not right here physically, but hey, if they are a child of God, they're right there. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. We've had a few that we know that was was in our congregation and they just left us. The Lord just took them. They said, yeah, bring me on. And I think of them, and you guys, you know, of course you have to think of uh, Carl, and Johnny, Cindy, you might have uh, ones that are really, really close to you personally. Uh, maybe they've never been a part of this church. Uh, you know, you hear that news and the first thing is kind of shock. And at the same time, you know, while you're thinking that, you know exactly where they're at. But yet you miss them, you know, miss them extremely. Anybody ought to talk here, I know that, uh, I know you, you miss them from here on out. And you can't wait to be with them. And the Lord brings you there too. So like I say, it's precious at the sight of the Lord that He brings them to Him. It's not a sad thing to Him, is it? The only grief is, is that we miss Him. Yeah, sure do, boy. But, when you look at a passage like this, and you go to think, you know, they're not having to go through some of the things that we're dealing with today. Somebody might be saying, why didn't I go first? <laughs> well, do you see the joy out of this verse that we're looking at? It's great promise. Because it's all in God's plan. 1 Corinthians 15.53, then we'll get off of this and we'll get into that uh, wrath of God. But I believe this is important to hit first before we get in the wrath of God. Because if you're a believer, those next set of, set of verses, sections, do not scare you at all. Because you know who you are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, the last few verses. Oh, how encouraging this is. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. You can't go into the kingdom of God until that happens. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, I love this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. While we're here on earth, it's a sting. It's like a little, maybe a bee, a wasp. The power of sin is the law. And the law showed us our sin. It showed us it never make us righteous, even though the law was perfect and righteous. We can never be without Christ. But verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives you the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory in Jesus. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There's where works come in. Not for salvation. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Christians, does that help you get through life? You know, that's, this is another one of the reasons why we, we come to worship God together and the more that you have, the more powerful it seems, you know. This is, that's, why we, that's where everything starts. And you know, we're here to hear good news, the Gospel. It's all wrapped up in the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Isn't it beautiful? We need to be reminded of that and the forgiveness of sins. We need to hear that all the time. And this is where it is to be proclaimed. And then keep proclaiming it all throughout the week to yourself. Okay, we're still on that verse. Revelation, right in the middle of all this judgment and wrath, and you, you hear this deal here, perseverance and uh, blessed are the dead, and, and get this. Yes, says the Spirit. You know, our vernacular today, you've seen this, somebody says something that's really true and it's right and it brings joy to you, and what do you do? Yes! Have you ever done that? Yes! I've, I've heard most of you say that. Yes! Good deal, right? Great. Praise God, right? You know what the Spirit is saying? Yes, says the Spirit. Whenever one who is a Christian who dies and is precious in the Lord and he's taken up to heaven, the Spirit says yes, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Oh, I love that. The Holy Spirit is saying yes, because He's been with us all the time. And you know what? The Holy Spirit does a lot of things. And you know what He does here? The ultimate job of the Holy Spirit is this. To bring us to glory. Did you catch that? All the work that He's doing in us has one ultimate job. To bring us to glory so we can ultimately bring the best glory to God. The Holy Spirit is doing that right now in our lives. If you're paying attention to His Word, regardless of how lame the way that I put it forth, His Word works in you. The Holy Spirit is there doing that work. Uh, and what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us. What if you had never been convicted of sin? The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It shows you that you are a sinner. It gives you the law to show that you sin. Again, you don't, you don't come up to the par of, of the holiness of God. Righteousness, that you're not right, but God is right, and that there is judgment coming if you are not made righteous by God. So He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Did He do that to you? If He did, you are a believer. And you repent. And you have faith in Christ, right? So, the Holy Spirit does that. You know what else He does? He regenerates us. He makes us become believers. He lives in us. I mean, He drew us to Christ. He wooed us to Christ. He illumines us. 
He gifts us. He strengthens us. He comforts us. And when He dies, he sa- when we die, He says, Yes. Amen. Alright. That's the ultimate job. Because now, we don't have to go through those labors that we've been having here on the earth. Labor, the battle against sin, all the persecution or struggles. The Holy Spirit's amen is saying there's no more struggles for you. No more struggles. And rest the beast and all the followers of him in chapter 14. It says in verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Who's that? Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Because they'll be lost forever if they take that mark of the beast. Believers will not, cannot take that mark. But all who are not believers and will not come and they're not elect, they will uh, be judged. This wrath that we speak of here will, will happen. Um, labors, kopon, means to wear out. It means to have great exertion. We have that in our walks, just daily life. Physical, yes. Spiritual, yes. Mental, yes. Everything that's associated with it. We have struggles, don't we? Uh, labor. We, we get worn out. God says, I'm not done with you yet. I've got some more labor for you. Um, another one says rest. Rest. The rest from all the, the battles. Rest. Be at peace. What you have in heaven is the work that... And the reward for the the work it says here, rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. That's erga in the Greek. It just it means energas, energy. It's a work. It's doing stuff all the time. What you will have in heaven is the reward for the work that you did that seemed grueling at times. I was saying. Earlier, you know, uh, yesterday was a hot day and out there working and mowing the lawn and getting rid of weeds and grass by the sidewalk and shoveling and doing all that. And I come into the house and I go, (laughs) I just, I actually just kind of went down to the floor and just laid there for a while. I was spent. I had just laid around for the rest of the day and I didn't feel guilty at all about it. You know, I mean, my heart was working hard and I think a lot of it had to do with some of this yellow stuff that I saw in the cars and windshield. I looked up to those oak trees that have that stuff that comes down, it's yellow and it's flying all over the place. And I go, oh, well, that had a lot to do with it. And there's junk in the throat today as there always is, it seems like. But, you know what? One of these days, no more allergies. <laughs> anyway, I got a feeling Zach would uh, will would appreciate that sense, wouldn't it? Well, God will never forget your labor. Now, because we have just a few minutes left here, 
Hebrews 6.10 put it this way, God will not forget your labor. He will not forget your kingdom work. That's right out of God's Word, folks. He's not going to forget. Be immovable. Be steadfast. Don't give up here. It's hard. It's grueling. You might have to lay down for a little bit. Just take a break, you know, for a while. To the older ones, probably a little while longer. <laughs> well, does a little bit of that go with it too? I think so. You know, it's not persecution. It's not really doing anything for somebody else. But even when you're doing things around your house and you're working, you say, this is so mundane. This, this is really not glorifying God. Shame on you. Because God gave us those little mundane jobs. And they're not little. They are for the glory of God. First Corinthians, I think chapter 10 talks about that. Everything that you do, gives, give glory to Him because He's given you the privilege of doing it. If nothing else, you can say, you know what, I'm just prepping this up. This falls so far short of the kingdom, but I want to make it seem like as good as I can to seem like the kingdom. You know, it just rem reminds you of the kingdom and that's why I get excited about the springtime of the year. All the flowers come out and all the colors. And it fades away really quickly. So take advantage of it as much as you can because it's here and it's gone. It's how fleeting this life is. And so it is with this body. So enjoy life. And as you're enjoying it, it's because you're giving glory to God. Amen. Right? So is there any such thing as mundane? Uh, you say, what, sweeping? Washing the dishes, you know. Oh, and just whenever I get it done, I've got to do it again, over and over, and cooking and doing your everyday jobs, whether it be at of at work or at home. It's all for the glory of God. Now, now we've got two things to cover here. Two pictures. Verse 14. This is the grain harvest through 16. And then from 17 through 20 is the grape harvest. Grain harvest, grape harvest. Um, they were an agrarian society. They were known for their olive oil, of course. Of course, that's so many times put in parables, and Jesus used that so much. And throughout the Old Testament, or you have grain, pictures of that that people can get an understanding of, or grapes. All throughout Israel you have these things that's commonplace for people. And now we have come to the point where God is going to use these illustrations of showing, okay, we've gotten this far in writing Revelation, Here's what's left. Here's Revelation. We're like here. Somewhere there. It is time for God to laugh and scoff at the nations who laughed at Him. Do you remember the Psalms? Psalm 2. 
But He's going to break them with a rod of iron. And He's going to crush them like an earthen pot. You see, the harvest here is pictured in two different motifs. The grain harvest, the grape harvest, they have sickle, they have reaping, the reaper. Why do you have two visions? Well, for one thing, I think it uh, makes it very clear. Okay, do you, do you get this picture? And then it's like, oh, let me, let me show you this one here too. But there might be a little more to that than just that. I mean, how often does Jesus say, okay, you know, He gives a parable and He comes along and maybe gives another parable. It helps us get the idea, oh man, you know, this is where He's really hammering it. Well, this is divine judgment, folks. This is the wrath of God. Now, uh, in chapter 16, we will have the bold judgments. We've had the seven seals, right? In the seventh seal are seven trumpet judgments. Those all have been blown. The seals have all been peeled back. The trumpets have all blown. And in that seventh trumpet we have the seven bowl judgments. That's all that's left. And this is rapid fire now. Boom, 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 boom. It's like the birth pains of a pregnant woman. You can have them, you know, but they're far apart. That's where we've been at. And now we're getting ready for the boom, 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 boom. That's when we know that the doctor is arriving. <laughs> well, that's where we're at in time. Chapter 16 is really probably what verses 14 and 16 is. And the second aspect that we see in 17 through 20, and all of these we're going to do rapid fire as we read them and then give you an idea of what, what's going on here. And you've already got it. But that, I do believe, very well could be Revelation 19. When Christ comes back to the earth. It's the very end whenever he shows the grapes of wrath. You ever heard of that movie, that story, the book, The Grapes of Wrath? Wonder where it got that from. Not sure, but I bet it could have been here. Because this is the grapes of wrath. This is the final of the final. First of all, the grain. You have the reaper. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Sorry, I'm going to be going through this very quickly, but a lot of this we've seen. The imagery of the white cloud, you see it in the Old Testament quite a bit. Uh, fire, cloud by day and fire by night. You know The presence of God. Uh, Jesus, whenever He ascended up in, in heaven, uh, Acts where you see where he, the ascension happened in Acts 1. And he went up in a cloud. Okay, uh, he's heavenly. Uh, one like a son of man. It's a white cloud and, and uh, he's sitting like a son of man. 
That's the humanity of Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. Identifies with Him. You can see this in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. You can see this in Matthew 24, verse 30. Matthew 20, uh, 24, verse, uh, chapter 26, 64. Matthew 8, 20. A lot of it's having to do with Christ coming back on a cloud. This is the second coming in that sense, but close to it. Here the reaper gets the final orders of judgment. Christ is like in the clouds. He's in the heavens. He gets this voice shouting out and it's an angel and he's telling him, hey, it's that time. It's time to do this. So you'll have something that's coming from heaven. Christ is bringing it on and then the next judgment, he will come literally to the earth. Um, he's wearing a golden crown. That's a victor's crown. That's a Stephanos. Not a diadem here. Later on in Revelation 19, you'll see Jesus coming back. That will be the diadem. This is the crown of a Stephanos. What does it mean? Victory. Triumph. Here it is as he's getting ready for the judgment. A long wooden handle a sickle has with a blade that is around. Some of you probably have seen those, those old-fashioned ones. Uh, uh, they ought to be still around. Man, I mean, they can be sharp, like a sharp like a razor. And you get down there and cut like a grass, in this case, grain, it would get right down to the bottom. Whack! One, one whack like that. And I know... Stan knows probably for sure what I'm talking about. And they, they, do they still have them today? At auctions, maybe rummage sales. Yeah, and they probably go back to who knows, maybe when we were kids or before. You know, Penny probably has one, right? Yep. Sure does. Do you use it? No. No. <laughs> it's a souvenir, antique, right? At any rate, what that is, is that's what that does, and it cuts it quick. I mean, it does the job. You know, of course, now we have automated machinery, and that, you know, it does a lot quicker, but uh, this did the job, and that's what they used. Cut the grain right down to the ground level, and uh, it says that it's ripe for that. That means it's time. It's overripe, actually. The word here, ripe, is different than the ripe, what we see in the next section. It's overripe. It's past the point of usefulness. It is no more delay, no more grace, no more mercy, no more of that. It is time for the harvest. This is going to happen now. We've always heard about this. God is patient. God is merciful. Would you all agree with that? And then, this means, this is it, folks. I mean, he's right on the edge of the cloud, looking down. He's ready. He's been told that it is. And uh, anyway, that's, that's the idea there. Uh, it says in 16, Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. That's the picture, the illustration there. We get it. That's wrath of God, isn't it? Well, let's move on to another uh, by the way, I would have ordinarily taken you to chapter 16 and gone through a little bit of that, but that's the seven. That's the bold judgments. There are seven of those left, and and uh, but the thing is, really, this is what would be happening in the grain harvest. Sores, 
sea turning to blood, waters turning to blood, men are scorched, earth scorched, darkness and pain, and the Euphrates River is dried up, and uh, the earth is utterly shaken, and, and that's at the very point that Christ is right there. As soon as you have the bold judgments, then Christ will bring on the grapes of wrath. And that's where we're at in verse 17. And another angel came and out of the temple which is in heaven. And he also had a sharp sickle. So again, same thing. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. He called out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Okay, imagery here, it's very, very visible. This is the grape harvest. This is the gathering. This is what we know as Armageddon, which is at the very time that Christ is coming down on the white horse and right here. This is what we've always heard about. This is what it mounts up to. And so this goes past our chapter 16. So in Revelation, we've seen where we go forward and then we kind of go back and get more explanation. Then we go forward and then get back explanation. We'll get the details of that grain harvest in chapter 16. In chapter 15, is it's a prelude prelude to the seven bowl judgments. Remember, seven bowl judgments is this is it, folks. This is it. It's going to kick off. 16. We'll get to that probably pretty quickly. We're moving through this, aren't we? Pretty good now. Um, a different word for ripe here. These grapes are ripe. It means they are fully ripe. The other word for ripe is they were overripe. You got to get them. Here they're fully ripe as far as the grapes are concerned. They're at the point of bursting forth with juice. You ever seen those grapes where you just touch them, the juice just splatters all over the place, right? This is called the juice of wickedness. And this is the final great cataclysmic return of Jesus Christ. Uh, it emphasizes the wine press, the splattering of blood, it's the, the bursting of the juice. However you want to see that. It's the character, characteristic of the return of Jesus Christ. This is what's going to happen when He comes back. It's not going to be pretty. It's a wine press. This is a large carved out stone and in that you put grapes. Below that is another carved out stone that would catch the juice of the grapes. There's a trough running between the two of them. And so the, the juice of the grapes, as people are stomping and stamping on them, uh, trotting on them, the juice just splatters, stays in that vat or that stone and rolls on down through the trough right into the second bowl. And that is the, I guess you could say what's resembling here, the, the wrath of God. Uh, we know in actuality they had these, 
these vats of this wine press, as they call it. It's really resembling a bloodbath. Armageddon. And Armageddon is all the enemies of God who come together that are drawn there and they have survived the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and here are the seven bowls, and here they are, and they're still left. The nations of the earth, and they will be engaged in conflict in this great battle, really against Christ. And that is the war of wars, isn't it? And it comes in that uh, area of Israel where there is a great valley and it goes from the very north of Israel as far as you can possibly go down to the southernmost part of that area. And that's where the battle is. Many battles were done in the book of Judges. You find out that that's where they were at. Um, we know that there, uh, let's see, uh, there, was, there was a famous general who did this kind of thing where he stuck his hand in the in his coat and uh, who was he? Napoleon. Napoleon. And what did Napoleon say? This would be the best place on earth. The best place you could have for a battle. Now he's quite a warrior, wasn't he? Guess what? God's going to bring all the nations in this area we're talking millions of people that are still left. There are people still left. There are nations still left. And they are representing what mankind is if they don't trust Christ. By nature, all man is sin. That's their nature. Anyone who doesn't trust Christ, they're there to war against Christ. The nations come together and say, we can do it. It's almost like uh, the Tower of Babel. Whenever the, the nations or the people that was one, they will later become nations and divide up, but they were one and they were there really to lift themselves up, their world, their one world, and it was more or less thumbing their nose at the one true God. And this is what this is about. This is the essence of what man does to God. They would love to kill Him and let's get together and do it. How could that happen? I can't. But millions are going to be killed at this area in a bloody carnage, a bloodshed. It even says here in the next verse, it's outside the city, Jerusalem. If you look at Zechariah 14, he's going to bring the nations of the world in that city or to that area, all of Israel. And he's going to draw China from the east He's going to draw the West there. The Antichrist has made his throne there, right? I mean, this is the war of all wars. And Zechariah 14, Joel chapter 3 is another one that talks about this. I wish I could read it. Uh, Revelation 19, um, starting at verse 11 on through. Uh, that is something that we've read many times is where Christ comes back and the blood that will be shed. And I don't know if it's literally going to be for 200 miles, all the blood like a river up to the bridles uh, of the horse, right? But it could be that it splatters up to the horse's bridles. 
at any rate, I, I don't even want to downplay it. You know, whatever it is, God is going to cause us to happen. Christ is. If it if it needs to be blood up to that time, you know, who knows? I mean, we're talking millions of people in two hundred mile area. Whatever it is, blood, incredible. When Christ comes back, he's actually going to have a robe that is blood, soaked in blood, but that's not this blood here because it's before he comes back. And when he comes back, then it will happen with all the blood, but you remember throughout his life and to his death on the cross, we see the blood there. Blood was shed in that sense. He died for our sins, right? Definitely draws it to us on that. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. What a picture. I can't draw that up for you. It's just, that's what the Word says. Kiss the Son lest He be angry. God is angry whenever He does these kind of judgments. What a frightening future the world has. They don't know it, do they? But we do. We know how it goes down. And we know quite the details. We'll be given more as we go through the rest of this book. As we're getting closer to that part now. We're there. You know what? I'm thankful for the blood of Christ on the cross. Who took away our sins. So that we could be with Him forever. We must trust on this person of Christ. Anybody that does not, doesn't it make you want to cry out and say, come, come to Christ. Get rid of all your clothes that are dirty and put on the righteousness of Christ. Confess your sins and repent. Trust in the Jesus Christ. There is a wrath to come. Father, great God, thank You for salvation. Thank You that believers don't have to be fearful of this time. We know in Your text there, it talked about an angel that came out from the altar and was representing the prayers of the saints. Because those saints during the tribulation were killed and they wanted God to bring on His justice as He has been all through the tribulation. But at the very end, again, we have an angel coming out, the fire. Speaking of incense, the sweet smell that goes to the Lord at the same time, the prayers of the saints are something that God is pleased with. And they wanted the will of God done too. And that's to get rid of all the wickedness, the sin. And yes, the ones who worked evil against God, and, they, and the ones who do it today and have done it in the past, God has judgment. And we accept that in our personhood, even though it is an unwelcome thing to the human mind, Lord, we are thankful that you will get rid of all the sin and we will not have evil in the kingdom of God all righteousness in your son's name we pray Lord Amen hey Numbers chapter 6
Thank you guys for staying with me here today on a somber passage. But did you get some good news out of this? Let's leave on this here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.